So today, we are continuing in our new series called Ancient Cliff Notes. And what we're doing is we're trying to do snapshots of stories in the Old Testament. And in 30 minutes or so, we really want to try to give you a Cliff Notes version of these complicated, long, sometimes weird stories that we find in the Old Testament. Because we want to just take some time to really be able to understand the whole of the Bible. And so we're trying to take quick snapshots. Last week... um, I started off, and we're, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel last week and this week. So last week, I talked about chapters 1 through 12, and we're talking about two specific characters, and that's Samuel and Saul. Um, you guys have probably heard of King David. He will be um, the main character in the second half of this book, but we're not going to talk about him today. We're going to stay focused on Saul and on Samuel, um, just because it's already too much to take on two people in two weeks, so I'm not going to try to take on um, arguably the, the biggest Old Testament Bible character um, along with those two. So that will be a different week during this series. Someone else, or possibly myself, I don't know, is going to take on the story of King David. But today we're going to focus, finishing off First Samuel, focusing on the stories of Samuel and Saul. So this is part two. So those of you who were there, here last week already have a little bit of a feel of what we're going for. To give you the quickest recap I can, Um, Last week, we looked at the first 12 chapters, and we really tried to look at the parallels between Saul and Samuel and how they were both called by God to do something that they weren't necessarily qualified to do. Samuel was called as an eight-year-old boy to speak for God, to represent God, to speak judgment and repentance to God's people and reconcile people back to God. He was chosen to be a prophet. Now, Saul was an adult, but he was chosen to become the first king in Israel's history. And he looked like a king. He was taller than everybody else. He was bigger than everybody else. But he didn't have the skills that were needed to lead a nation, especially one that had never had a king before. And we know that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul. He began to prophesy. He was given the strength. He was given the courage. He was given the ability to become the king that Israel wanted and that God wanted to provide for them. So, This week is going to be very different than last week. Last week we were saying, you know, Samuel and Saul were pretty similar. You know, God qualified people that that didn't feel qualified. And a lot of times we look at our own lives and we look at what God asks us to do, even as as parents, as spouses, as children, if our jobs, if we're we're doing ministry in our communities and in our neighborhoods. But he qualifies us through his Holy Spirit, just like he did Samuel, just like he did Saul. Today we're going to look at how their stories take two very different directions. Um, A sneak preview, Samuel remains faithful and we can see him navigate the rest of his life remaining faithful to God. And um, as some of you may know, Saul uh, takes a real nosedive. He does not not do well. Um, He eventually ends up um, dying by his own sword in battle because he doesn't want to be taken captive, so he ends up killing himself to end his life. So that's a little spoiler alert of what's coming at the end. But we're just going to look at their stories and see how... I look at the life of Saul and I go, he was this amazing king, he was the first king, how did he screw it up? And for me, a lot of times when I think about my calling, I'm like, I just don't want to screw up what God's asked me to do, because often I feel kind of like a screw-up. I feel unqualified. I feel unprepared. And Samuel was all those things, and so was Saul. So I want to look at their lives and go, how did Samuel stay faithful? How did he follow through with what God asked him to do? And what happened to Saul 
what was the progression that led him down a path to where he was alone and he lost everything in the end and he wasn't able to live out the calling that God had created him for. So a lot of today is going to focus on Saul. Let's pray together and then we'll jump right in. God, we thank you um, for your love. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you want to speak to us, that you want to teach us things. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we would leave this place different than when we came, and that um, we would truly have an understanding of your love, of your mercy, of your grace, and of what you've called us and equipped us and asked us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys could open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Only a couple people are excited. That's fine. I understand. Two weeks in the same book feels like a lot. So the first thing that I see, and this is, this is really the, the snowball that gets Saul's downward spiral going. And the first thing that I see is distrust. Distrust of God. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. In chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. So leading up to this, Saul is getting ready to go to war against the Philistines. He's done this before. He's had victory before. But what happens is Samuel tells Saul, hey, wait, in seven days I'm going to show up. We're going to make a sacrifice to God, and then he's going to prepare you. You're going to be able to go into the battle. You're going to be able to fight. You're going to be able to win. Well, what happens is Saul starts doubting what Samuel told him God said. It gets, we're on day seven. And he knows, he hears reports that the Philistines are ready for battle. He hears reports that his men are starting to run away because they're scared, because there hasn't been a sacrifice to God yet. There's no word from their king that God is with them and he's going to give them the victory. But there is word that the enemy is ready to attack at any minute. And they are starting to scatter. They're starting to run away. So Saul finally goes, you know what? I can't wait on God's timing. I can't wait on what Samuel said. He's not here. He's not keeping his word. But mind you, it's still day seven. It's just not the exact same time that Saul wanted him to be there. And Saul ends up making the sacrifice to God, which back then was not okay. You had to be a priest or a prophet to make that sacrifice. So Saul goes ahead, does what he wants because he doesn't trust God's timing. He's afraid that his men are leaving and God is not going to be able to give him the victory and he doesn't know if Samuel's ever going to show. Verse 11, uh, Samuel shows up like he said he would on the day he said he would to do the thing that he said he would do. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. He did, just to be clear. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. This is the first issue that Saul has, is he doesn't trust that God's going to show up when he says he's going to show up. He doesn't trust that God's timing is going to be good enough. He sees what's happening, and he goes, I need to take matters into my own hands. God isn't taking care of this the way that he's supposed to, or even that he said he would, because honestly, it just wasn't working out in the timing that Saul was looking for. So Saul distrusts the Lord, and then Samuel is forced 
to continue to speak for God, continue to try to reconcile people back to God, and he has to rebuke the Lord's anointed. In verse 13 and 14, Samuel goes, how foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Because that's how kingdoms work, right? The son takes over, becomes king. Verse 14, but now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, when I read this, sometimes I feel like it's pretty harsh because honestly, this is the first like real screw up that Saul has is just this, this doubt, this distrust of God because just two chapters before the last battle that's recorded, Saul goes, he prays, God gives him victory, people want traitors killed, and he goes, no, we're going to show mercy because God gave us the victory. The very next battle we hear about, he's too scared, he's not trusting God, and God goes, you know what, I was going to set up your dynasty, but now I'm going to give it to somebody else whose heart is after my own. And Samuel is the one that has to bring this word. So Samuel goes through all this. He goes, he becomes Israel's leader, and then They reject him and want a king, so he listens to God and he anoints the king. Now this king is leading, and now Samuel has to tell the king that he's not going to be the king. Well, he is going to be the king, but his son's not going to be able to take over for him. So now Samuel's basically having to undo what he already did because of somebody else's issues. And it's like he keeps having to go back and forth, but the difference is, is he's being obedient to God. And he's following those movements and the changes that happen because of our choices. Sometimes the plan has to deviate from the original one. And Samuel's right there listening to God, ready to speak what it is that God's spoken to him. The second thing, that, same, that very next chapter, chapter 14, I see that Saul's self-centered. And I, I do want to make a slight distinction um, between self-centered and selfish we're all selfish, right? And I, I, I think there's a difference between selfish and self-centered. I, I think of it as uh, when I go to a restaurant, I don't believe in sharing my food. I don't believe anyone should have to share their food. I believe that's why there's a menu and you order what you want and then you eat what you want, right? And so if you don't want fries, don't ask for my fries because I wanted fries and that's why I ordered the fries because they're my fries. You could have ordered your own fries. So I look at selfishness as going, I don't want to share my fries with my wife because they're my fries, right? She could have ordered fries. I only wanted a few. Well, if you ordered a full order, you could have a few and then I could have extra. So that's even better. But that's selfish, right? Going, I don't want to share because these are mine. Self-centered would be me going, hey, I need you, even though you don't want fries, to order fries because I want them. Do you see the difference? So selfishness is like, I kind of want to keep what's mine. It's like there's this this sense of like, I don't want to share. Self-centered goes, no, 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 your choices need to revolve around what I want. Does that make sense? That's the difference is going... It's not just like, I don't want to share. I'm kind of, you know, I'm thinking about myself. It's going, you, you have this, this shift in your mentality where it's like, no, no, no. Everyone's choices need to revolve around what I want. And that's what Saul does here in chapter 14. They're fighting the Philistines again. This is pretty common throughout this portion of Israel's history. 
Now the men of Israel, verse 24, were pressed to exhaustion that day because Saul had placed them under a stupid oath. It doesn't say stupid, but it is stupid. Saying, let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening, before I have had full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate anything all day. So Saul's men are pursuing the Philistines. They're having this battle, and he goes, there's no snack breaks. There's no, you can't eat anything because I need to have revenge on my enemies. Now, if we look back at chapter 11, when Saul goes to war with the Philistines, he's going, God gave us victory over his enemies, right? Now Saul is making the nation of Israel about him. He's going, these are my enemies. They're against my kingdom. They're against me. And none of you can eat until I have revenge on my enemies. So you go and do something to get revenge for me against my enemies. That's what, that's what all of this is saying. He's going, he's making them take an oath to go, I don't care about your well-being because this is really about my issues and I need you guys to help me resolve my problem because this is about me. And the, the, the sad thing is that in his self-centeredness, he then leads his men to sin. In verse 32 to the first part of 33, says that evening... They rushed the battle plunder and butchered the sheep's goats, cattle, and calves, but they ate them without draining the blood. It was against Jewish law um, to have your meat medium rare, which I think is one of the greatest things that Jesus did when he came and died on the cross was making all food clean so that we could have medium rare steak and burgers so that we could really enjoy the, full, the fullness of God's creation. But back then it was illegal. They had to cook everything well done. You couldn't have blood in it because blood was about forgiveness and it was, it was part of the covenant. So they ate these animals without draining the blood because they had just been fighting a battle all day, not being allowed to eat. And it says, someone reported to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that still has blood in it. Now, if they were allowed to eat throughout the battle, throughout the day, when they came across in a, a time they could eat, they probably wouldn't have been so hungry that they're like, we can't wait for this meat to cook all the way through. Like, chicken takes a while to cook. And, well, you shouldn't eat chicken raw anyway. Let's just, I don't, I don't eat my chicken medium rare, just to be clear. I do eat my pork medium rare, which is okay if you buy good pork. I get mine from Zach. His mom raises the pigs. So I, I basically know the pigs I eat. They're, they're good friends of mine. But all this to say, they're going, we don't have time to wait for it to cook all the way because we're so hungry. We haven't eaten all day. We've been fighting this battle. And Saul, making everything about himself, then causes his men to be so hungry that they don't even care about doing the right thing because all they can think about is this price that they've been paying for someone else to make it about himself. And this is the very next step. I think this is what can happen when we start to doubt God and we start to not trust his timing, and this happens in every area of our lives, maybe you don't trust his timing to provide for you financially, you don't trust his timing on sickness in your family, or, or when different tragedies happen, you're just like, I don't understand, I can't, I can't trust that God's going to come through even though he said he would, so I got to do something on my own. The very next thing is, when, when we're not connecting with God, we start to really make things all about us. And we really start to think that everything in the world revolves around us. And it's very, very easy to come to that tendency when we're like, 
this, this is about me. It's about taking care of myself. It's about taking care of my family. That's what this world is about, as opposed to whatever God's called you to do. Because what did God call Saul to do? He said, I want you to lead my people, bring justice, and rescue them from the Philistines. He didn't say, I want you to like, make it really hard for them to like, go into battle because they're so hungry for your enemies. He's going, I want you to defend my people. And Saul's making it about him. The third thing that we see in Saul's life, and I think this is kind of, the, this is the final straw as, as we're going to get to in chapter 15, and it's rebellion and stubbornness. And I think for us, this is often the next step, is when we're not trusting God, when we're making everything about ourselves, we're just kind of going to do our own thing. We're just going to kind of do whatever works for us. We don't really care what's going on. We don't really care who it affects. We don't really care right from wrong as long as it helps us in the moment. So chapter 15, Samuel comes to Saul and he says, uh, the Lord is tired of the Amalekites. He wants you to wipe them out. So he wants you to go. He wants you to kill every single person and he wants you to kill all their cattle, destroy all the plunder. He goes, completely eviscerate them, like erase them from the history books because I'm tired of them sinning against me and, you know, oppressing my people, all that. So Samuel is very, very clear about what he says. He says, destroy everything. So Saul goes to battle and he, they defeat them because God is with them. God's asked them to do this. So he defeats the Amalekites and he kills everyone except for the king, takes him prisoner, and they take care of all the cattle. They kill all the cattle, all the plunder, except for the very, very best. So Samuel comes up to Saul, and uh, Saul's like, hey, we won. God gave us victory. We did exactly as he asked. And and I love, this, I love this phrase from Samuel. He goes, then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? He's going, we did exactly what God asked. And Samuel's like, then why do I hear animals? You were supposed to take all of them out. He's like, why, why am I experiencing something that shows me you didn't actually follow all the rules? And Saul goes, oh, no, no, no. We did exactly what God asked. And I took the king prisoner. And I saved the best of the sheep and the cattle because I wanted to make a sacrifice to God, right? He's going, I wanted to do for God, you know, I wanted to give him this great, great honor of the victory of, of setting these people before him. I took the king prisoner so that we can, we can make an example of him before the whole nation that God gave us victory. And this is how Samuel replies in verse 22 of chapter 15. What is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offering and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So now, not only did Samuel have to rebuke the king that God had him anoint, now he completely rejects him as king. And shortly after that, it says that God 
mourned or regretted ever making Saul king. And remember, God didn't want a king in the first place. That was Israel's problem, that they didn't trust God enough, and they said, we want a king, so God gave them what they wanted. He empowered Saul to fulfill the calling that he had created him to do, and Saul didn't trust him. Saul made it about himself, and then he just straight up lied and rebelled. And so what I think is so funny is all the way leading up to these two verses, Saul's like, no, we did what God said. We did what God said. We did it to honor him. Samuel does this. And then Saul responds that he was finally wrong, right? There's the stubbornness. The rebellion is going, I know better than God, and I'm going to make this decision based on what I think is best for God. Which is, it's so dumb when you say it out loud, but how often in our own lives do we make decisions like that? Like, I know God says to do this, but I really think this will be better for him. Like, I feel like this will be better PR for him if I do it this way. And that's, that's what Saul's trying to say he's doing. But really, God is going, that's just rebellion. You're just choosing to not do what I said. And then the stubbornness is just going, no, I did what God said. I did what God said. And then finally goes, okay, I didn't do what God said. And this is the moment when it goes, God just straight up goes, we're just, we, we can't. I can't do this anymore. This isn't working. I'm trying to help you live out your calling, and you're just rejecting me. He's going, you have rejected the command of the Lord, so he has rejected you as king. Saul decided that he knew what was best, that he didn't need to obey God's command, and then he chose to lie about it because he wanted to do things his own way, the way that he thought was best. Now, we're going to take a break from Saul's story. So this is really... The, one of the, the lowest point of his kingship leading up to the story of David. And we're going to just have this little glimpse into David's life where it connects with Samuel because we're looking at Samuel's life throughout this entire process. And what is he doing? He's having people be reconciled to God. He's calling them to repentance and he's speaking for God. He's still living out his calling. In chapter 16, Samuel has to anoint a new king. The Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. Because at the end of 15, it says that Samuel just went home and just mourned. He mourned that Saul hadn't been faithful. He mourned that God had rejected Saul. He was so invested in seeing this person fulfill what God had created him to do that he's just destroyed. And finally, God's the one who has to go, dude, you've, you've mourned enough. You've cried enough over this guy. I have rejected him as the king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And this is, this is so hard when, when God leads you in a direction and things don't turn out the way that even God wanted them to, right? In Samuel's life, he's going, you're going to speak to this king. You're going to help him. You're going to help him lead the nation. And then finally, God goes, you know what? It just didn't work. He wasn't obedient. He didn't listen to me. It's just not working. You need to go a new direction. And Samuel was having trouble because he was so all in behind Saul. He was, he was there believing that he could do what God had asked him to do. And God goes, you know what? It's time to do the next thing. Verse 7 
This is right after Samuel gets a lineup of all of Jesse's kids. I think uh, six of them maybe, the six oldest brothers. And um, six or seven, I don't remember now. I should have written that down. But he, he has them all lined up. Some of them are really tall. Some are really handsome. He's going down and he goes, he sees the oldest and he goes, okay, I remember this. Like, I remember seeing Saul and he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the biggest. He looked the most kingly. This is the next one for sure. He looks the most kingly out of this lot. And the Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is a shift in even Samuel's thinking. He thinks, oh, I've done this before. God's asked me to anoint a king. I go, I find the most kingly looking guy, I anoint him. But God's able to make this minor adjustment because Samuel's still listening, because Samuel's still paying attention to what God wants him to do. He's going, no, 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 you're, now, now you're misreading this. Things don't always happen the same way. You have to be aware of what I'm doing next. And he's going, the next thing, I'm not going for looks. I'm going for the heart. So verse 12 and 13, they go, he goes, hey, is this all your sons? And he's like, well, there's one more. He's in the field. And he's like, well, bring him here because all these guys are losers. And Jesse sent for David. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought, anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So we see this. He anoints David, and we remember exactly how it happened with Saul. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him from that day on. That's exactly what happened when Saul was anointed. Remember, he walked away from the conversation with Samuel and it said God gave him a new heart and the Spirit of the Lord was with him. So now the very next verse, chapter 16, verse 14, we come back into Saul's story and it says, now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. So now we're starting to see the consequences of Saul's choices, right? He doesn't trust God. He makes things about himself. He chooses to be rebellious and stubborn. So God has to anoint a new king who he equips and gives the power of the Holy Spirit to. And it says that the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. He was no longer being filled with the power from God to fulfill his calling. God had moved on to someone else who would be obedient to the same call that Saul was called to, right? Because what's David's call? His anointing now is going, I want you to lead my people, bring justice, and save them. So Saul, he, he screwed up his calling, and now God's going, okay, we're going to the next one. We're going to the backup, and we're going to see if this works better. So the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul, and tormenting spirit filled him. And we know that this spirit then caused him to have like these these manic attacks, basically. Um, and the only thing that could soothe them was someone who could play music. And David was able to come and play the harp and, and, and help Saul recover from this tormenting spirit. But the real price that I see Saul paying, when we make those choices to not trust him, to make things about ourselves, when we finally become rebellious and stubborn and we reject God, 
we then have separation from him. And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. Sin takes us away from where we're supposed to be. That's why we need reconciliation, right? That's why we need to be made right with God is because sin separates us. So when we choose to reject God, the price is separation from him. And that's the biggest price that Saul pays for all of his choices. And we see it creates this avalanche throughout the rest of the book. Next chapter, chapter 17, we know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath is this champion of the Philistines. They're drawn up for battle. He's nine feet tall. He comes out, he goes, send out a man to fight me. If I win, you'll become our servants. If, if you win, we'll become your servants. But we just want a one-on-one fight to the death. And this is what it says about Saul. Remember, Saul, what was he called to do? He was called to fight for God, to save the people. And he had been given, remember in chapter 11, when he like killed the ox and he sent it out to all of Israel and he said, come and fight me. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. He became angry and he led Israel to battle. There wasn't an ounce of fear because he knew what he was created to do, which was to lead Israel to victory. But here, after separation from God, in verse 11, it says, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, what Goliath was saying, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Saul now has fear where he used to have courage. Saul used to step up to the battle lines and know that he was going to have victory because God was with him and he was living out the calling that God had called him to do. Now he's full of fear instead of the courage to know that he can win this fight because he knows that God's not with him. God's not equipping him. And we know that when we're trying to do something without God, it's not going to get accomplished. Because God created you to do something that only you can do. But along with that, you can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives you. Because we can't accomplish what God created us to do on our own because we're limited. And God created us to do things that are so much more and so far beyond what we think we can do that we can't do it without him. Verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 9. This is after David defeats Goliath. He's now, they're singing songs about him. They're super pumped that David is finally coming to save Israel. He's an awesome champion. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And this is kind of that that next step, is after having fear where you once had courage, now you're jealous of those that are living out the calling that God created you to do. This is when you start to become cynical of people that are doing the right thing. This is when you know that God called you to, to witness to your coworkers, to be a light, to be a servant, to put others in front of yourself in the workplace. And then some new hire comes in and they're so about Jesus and they love serving people and they make the best cookies and all of this stuff. And you start getting jealous of them. And it's because you're jealous of the people that are doing what you're, you're created to do. You're the one who was supposed to be doing those things. And now you're upset because someone else, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is doing it. And that's what happens to Saul. He's jealous because David is now living out the calling he was supposed to do. He's saving Israel. People are flocking to him to be their leader. 
So Saul starts to try to kill David. Saul attempts to kill him multiple times. He starts to try to set up things where he can be ambushed. So finally, David runs away in chapter 19. And who does he run to? Verse 18. So David escaped, went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. Now Samuel has to protect the new anointed one of God. He goes from leading Israel to giving them the king they want to rejecting the king that they wanted. And now he has to protect the new king because this is the direction God's moving. And he's there being obedient to what God has asked him to do. Now we see in 1 Samuel chapter 22, Saul finds out that these priests were helping David because they thought David was a good guy. So they give him a sword from Goliath and they help him because they don't know that Saul's trying to kill him. And so this is what happens. Saul condemns all these priests to death. Saul shows up. He goes, you will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family. He ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and killed them that day. Eighty-five priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. This is what eventually is led to his death. Saul's trying to kill David. Now he finds out somebody helps David. He kills 85 of God's chosen priests. He's losing his mind because of jealousy, because of fear, because he doesn't know what's going on. He was created to live a life that he's no longer living And he's completely lost and he has no idea what to do. So he's just trying to take down as many people as he can. And this is where we close in in chapter 31. This is where Saul's story ends. This is the very last chapter. There's some other parts that I had to skip. So finish reading 1 Samuel and you'll be able to hear about all the other things. Saul goes to a witch after he was the one that outlawed witchcraft. We remember... What did Samuel say? He said, uh, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. So in chapter 28, Saul goes, okay, well then I'll also consult a witch and dabble in witchcraft. That's how far he's come. He's breaking his own rules because he's so lost. Chapter 31, verse 4, Saul groaned to his armor bearer. He had been hit with some arrows. He knew he was supposed to die today. Samuel came back from the dead when he consulted the witch and said, you're going to die tomorrow and your sons in battle. Because Saul wanted to know if God was going to bless their battle. He was not. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come and run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. This is how Saul's story ends. Hands up, dying, in the battle that he was supposed to be leading Israel to victory to because he went down this path and it didn't seem as dangerous. It was these small steps. We don't don't lose the ability to live out our calling in an instant. One screw up doesn't make us unable to live out what God calls us to do. A hundred screw ups doesn't, but there's this pattern that Saul follows, that he doesn't trust God. He thinks it's all about him. He starts to rebel, 
and then all of a sudden he's separated from God because of his sin. He's jealous, he's fearful, and eventually it all leads to death. If we're not making those corrections along the way, because that's really what it comes down to, is Saul wasn't making corrections when he screwed up. He just kept, kept going. And even though it didn't happen in an instant, it happened way faster than he ever thought it could have because he didn't make those little changes. He didn't make those changes. When he screwed up and made the sacrifice, what did he do? Did he go, I've, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done that? No, he goes, he made an excuse. And that's the difference is it's like, yes, we all screw up so much. You're never screwing up so much that God can't use you. The step that it takes is you have to be willing to recalibrate. Because we look at the story of Samuel, right? What did Samuel do? He was flexible in navigating, following the Holy Spirit's leading, right? He, he does a dozen different things because he's in tune with God. He goes, oh, I know what the king's supposed to look like. And instead of just going, yep, you're the new king because that's what it was last time, he's still listening to the voice of God going, no, we're doing it different this time. This is how I want you to do it. And what did he do? He obeyed. He didn't dig his heels in like Saul did. He didn't go, no, 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 this is how it's supposed to be. This is, we're doing it my way. He recalibrated. We see Saul, this is the longest math equation of all time. Saul's distrust, and it's all added together, right? It's not one thing. It's not, if you, trust, if you don't trust God once, he can't use you. That's not the answer, because that's not true. We can recalibrate. We can repent. We can turn back. But if we have distrust, and then we make it all about ourselves, and then we rebel, and then we're stubborn, and we refuse to admit that we're wrong, what do we see it leads to? When we refuse to repent, it separates us from God. When we're separated from God, we experience fear because now we don't have the ability to do what we're supposed to do. And then that leads to jealousy because God's going to ask someone else to do what we're supposed to be doing and then we're going to get mad about it. And then finally it leads to death. And Saul's was a real physical death that we hear the story of. But I think we've all experienced those moments where we feel dead inside, where we feel like we have nothing to live for, where we feel like we're not living up to what we're supposed to be doing. That's what can happen if we're not willing to recalibrate, if we're not willing to come and come before God and go, I screwed up. I'm sorry I was rebellious. I'm done being stubborn. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. It's so hard sometimes. I'm sorry that I made it all about me because it's not about me even though I want it to be about me so much. That's all it takes is that moment of repentance, of reconciliation to tell God that you don't want to keep going down that path. Samuel made the adjustments and it was because he was listening to the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to take communion. Part of communion is remembering what Jesus did on the cross. It's about knowing that his, his body was broken for us. That's what the bread represents. That his blood was shed for us, which represents the juice, which is represented by the juice. And when we take communion, we're going, we're going to remember what Jesus did so that we could be made right with God. He took the first step. 
He said, you know what, I want, I don't, I don't want a Saul result. I created you to do something great, just like I did Saul, but I want a Samuel result in your life. I want to see you navigate these screw-ups, navigate these questions, navigate these hard times through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus died and he raised back to life so that we could have victory over sin through him. So as we're taking communion together today, and as we're singing this last song as the band comes up and we're closing out this little two-part thing on Samuel and Saul, it started out very similar. It started out the way that God wants to begin it in you. He's called you and he's created you to do something that you can't do without him. And so are you going to end up like Saul or are you going to end up like Samuel? And that begins with a commitment to repent. It begins with a commitment to go, God, I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to recalibrate. I'm going to I'm going to right the ship. I'm going to come to you and go, I want to do this right. I want to fix it. I want to be right with you. And that's why we start with remembering what Christ did because we can't make it on our own. We can't go, you know what? I'm just going to dig in and I'm going to do what's right. That's the same stubbornness that Saul had. But we're coming before God and we're going, because of what you did on the cross... I have an opportunity to be made right with you. And when I'm made right with you, you can use me. And I can change and I can be molded and shaped to fulfill what you've created me to do, what makes me come alive, what I'm supposed to be doing.